There are only two questions that are on my mind these days. How are you all holding up? And when will this end? I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Later in the show, we'll talk to the Oregonian Oregon Live's Mike Rogaway about the economic fallout from the coronavirus pandemic, the skyrocketing layoff figures, and why he's keeping his eyes on the manufacturing sector most of all. But first, a conversation with Edder Campazano, who covers schools for us. This was supposed to be spring break for hundreds of thousands of school kids across the state. And for high school seniors, there are so many seminal moments of young life that are now completely up in the air. Spring sports, prom, graduation, nothing is certain. Edder and I touched on all that stuff. But we first chatted about his recent story looking at low-wage workers in our community and how they're faring. The origins of that story came from us kind of wondering about, you know, there are plenty of folks out there with a following, right, who can sort of post up on Facebook and have a bunch of people coming out, come out and support them. But we were sort of wondering about, you know, your neighborhood shops, your neighborhood taquerias. We spoke to one of the managers at Rose City Taqueria in North Portland, and the gist of what folks are going through on that end, you know, low wage workers and the folks who manage them is that they're really taking it day by day. You know, the news for us as reporters feels like it's changing every single day. I mean, I feel like I have to keep one tab open just to make sure that I've got my totals up to date. If I'm talking about confirmed cases in Oregon, Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas for these folks, it's, it's more like, well, Business at Rose City Taqueria, for example, did not drop off last week whatsoever. Things were kind of going as normal. And when the governor instituted her ban on gatherings of 25 people or more, the manager, Hugo Flores, told us that that first day, he kind of saw a small drop off. But the next day is when it was obvious because he couldn't have people in the dining room. He took very proactive steps to kind of move all of the tables into one corner of the restaurant. And it was really kind of weird walking in with our videographer, Brooke Herbert, um, and just seeing a restaurant that was open for business for all intents and purposes, but had nowhere for anyone to sit. People could sit kind of on the corners of the restaurant while they were waiting for their food and everybody else just had to wait outside. He wouldn't let any more than five people, 10 people max inside the restaurant. And is that setup working for him? Do you have a sense of whether they're going to try to make that work for the long haul? Hugo was very optimistic about the takeout order in that it seems manageable. At least it seemed manageable to him when we spoke on Tuesday. But he did tell us that business had dropped off so steeply that he usually has three people on per shift, including himself, a crew in the morning, a crew in the evening both three people starting next week he feels he's gonna have to cut that back to two people per shift Mm -hmm. and basically cut everybody's hours he spoke to us in spanish everybody behind the counter and that we saw on the line was also you know a latino person and so for him he's sort of wondering well how can i help my employees what is the government going to do to help my employees he had just heard about the Trump administration's kind of ruminations on sending checks out to people. And he was just kind of gung-ho about that whole idea of, yes, what can we all do to collectively help my employees help people in this situation? 
when you're in the throes of trying to keep your business alive, um, you're probably, you don't have a lot of time to get bogged down by what's happening in Washington. But at this point, it could be a lifesaver. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it extends to people who, you know, don't necessarily have those jobs that we consider to be low wage, you know, like line cooks and servers at re- servers at restaurants. But, uh, you know, folks that we spoke to who work for Lyft have seen a precipitous drop in their income. You know, the, the fellow that we spoke to for our story was making $600 easily on a weekend mm-hmm. and he could barely break 40 bucks in one day when this all started. Yeah, that's a staggering difference in income when you've got bills to pay. There are some folks who just are not getting paid. Companies with big coffers like Walmart and Taco Bell can say, yeah, if you're sick, stay home, we'll pay you. But there are other employers, certainly around the state, especially, let's say, in agriculture, that just say, stay home and you're not getting paid. Right. We have a paid sick leave policy in Oregon um, or in Portland and, and in the state, I believe, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we don't have that, uh, you know, sick leave it, it, that that doesn't cover a pandemic. Right. Yeah. And the guidelines for the, um, you know, paid sick leave in Oregon is if you're if you're an employer in Portland and you have 10 or more employees, then you, you, you give your employees paid sick time up to 40 hours per year. Um, otherwise, let's say if you're out of Portland, that sick time is unpaid, but it's still protected. So you can't get fired for missing work, but you're not getting paid. So obviously there are companies like, again, Taco Bell and Walmart that can easily say, oh yeah, if you're sick, go, go ahead, stay home. We've got money in the bank and we will pay you. But that's not the reality for a lot of people. What about Hugo? What's his, what is he most concerned about aside from, you know, obviously his business and his employees? I mean, what's his financial uh, situation? So he said that he, for the most part, is okay. I mean, he's got two kids at home. Um, they're obviously home from school. And he is just kind of, take, again, taking it day by day because he never knows how much business is going to come in from day to day and what things are going to look like. You know, we've had a, a lot of stories about Portland's dining scene and we've got all these, you know, James Beard award-winning restaurants and all this, uh, you know, places that are shutting down across the city. But in reality, I mean, there are so many places like Rose City that are kind of a, a gathering spot and really critical to not only the people who work there, but also the neighborhood that they feed. Last year, or toward the end of the year, I was getting a lot of emails, kind of heads up from parents in North Portland neighborhoods telling me about fundraisers that, you know, their neighborhood taqueria, their kind of neighborhood bakery were putting on to help the local PTAs fundraise. And obviously, like, that's not the sort of thing that can happen right now. So these places are kind of pillars of their community, and they're all really hurting. Switching gears a little bit, you mentioned Roosevelt. Um, your beat, uh, Roosevelt is is closed now. All Oregon schools are closed f- through at least April. Um, you know, and a lot of businesses like our newspaper are working remotely now. Uh, what are we as a state doing to help kids uh, who might be at these schools uh, all around the state learn during this time? Are we doing anything? Yeah, so that's a really good question. The State Department of Education has sent out guidelines to districts throughout Oregon 
basically saying, regardless of what you offer or do not offer, they're not pushing any particular curriculum statewide, nor are they discouraging districts to forge their own paths. But the state education department is saying, no matter what you do, you need to make sure that it's equitable and accessible for all of the students that you traditionally serve. That poses a particular problem in Portland Public Schools, for example, where there's nearly 50,000 kids. You know, when I was growing up in McMinnville, my high school enrollment topped out at about 1,800. I believe it's a little over 2,000 now. But that right there kind of shows you the scope of the issue that districts like Portland and Beaverton are, are tasked with solving in that Portland has nine high schools. Um, adjusting for the kind of unique enrollment st structure at Jefferson, um, you know, that's somewhere around six to seven times as many kids to account for as my old school district. So, you know, in order to make sure that everyone has access to every tool that you're providing to every other student, I mean, Portland Public Schools just opened up a form for parents to request one of its 45,000 laptops and tablets that it has on hand, right? Just in case they want to do some distance learning. Um, and both the state education department and officials here in Portland have stressed to me that although they can sort of give kids and parents guidance and some material to at least keep them, you know, keep them thinking and keep them working through this time, that's one no substitute for the kind of in-classroom uh, teacher-to-student interaction. Right. And it's also not really going to help them advance through what their normal tracks of learning are going to be. So where does that leave us? <laughs> and where does that leave these kids? And what, is, uh, what, do you, what are parents, what, what are parents supposed to do? Right. So parents have a few options in Portland and across, um, across Oregon. So there are some school districts that have taken to using their traditional bus routes, tweaking them a little slightly. But ever since the governor's first order to close schools, one of the sort of strings attached to that is that districts are still supposed to provide meals for their students. And they're all supposed to be to-go meals because obviously you can't have kids congregating and sort of eating on site right now. What some districts have taken to do is tweak their morning bus routes to deliver meals to those students. And in addition to meals, they're dropping off sort of homework supplements, right? Uh, learning packets, things like that. At Portland Public Schools, those same supplements and packets are at every meal site, all 15 meal sites across the city. In addition to that, they've opened and are using some of their existing kind of digital learning tools. There's a portal on the PPS website. I link to it in plenty of my stories mm -hmm. where parents can kind of log on and grab material that they can either download or, you know, worksheets that they can basically work through online. And those worksheets are separated by grade level. It's something, but again, not a substitute for that traditional classroom experience. And it's not necessarily going to, you know, keep you on track to where you were going to be by the end of the year. The folks at the State Department of Education have told me, have told the State Board of Education that their greatest priority right now is in ensuring that seniors on track to graduate are going to get what they need. What that looks like so far, we don't have details on. That might even come today, you know, when we're, we're done. talking on Friday, this. yeah. Will we know more about whether the school year 
is likely to wrap up or not? Or is that just kind of a going to be a game time decision or something we hear more of in April? So in terms of the school calendars, there's a few different things that have to happen in order for, you know, there to be a decision one way or the other. One of the first uh, sort of considerations for the state to make, education chief Colt Gill has told me that they're looking under, quote, every rock they can find to uh, grant, get federal waivers granted for so many of their operations. One of the sort of state mandates that districts have to abide by is, uh, you know, a minimum number of classroom hours for every single district. And unless the state changes that, there's not a whole lot else that school districts can do. In addition, a lot of uh, districts have to have a uh, school board actually vote on their calendar. And, you know, that's going to require another kind of set of hoops to jump through. But for the time being, there's no real concrete answers on what that's going to look like. Um, It's, again, kind of like a day by day, wait and see kind of situation. Yeah. In the meantime, Edder, uh, you mentioned your high school experience. I mean, and seniors, I mean, this is, we're coming right up on all these seminal moments in the senior experience. What do we know about proms, for example, or spring sports or, you know, graduation? Right. So for sports, you know, as you know, spring sports season right now would be in pretty much full swing. Um, But even before the governor's ban on gatherings of 25 people or more districts had taken it upon themselves to kind of announce even during that smaller closure window when they were only supposed to be closed for the week before spring break that you know athletic events at the time were going to be spectatorless so the public couldn't attend um and right now i mean all sports basically activities that would gather groups of 25 people or more students of 25 or more are just suspended you know they're not happening the situation with graduations and proms, I mean, the University of Oregon just canceled all of its in-person commencement events. So the big um, kind of march of graduates down 13th Avenue that's, you know, so traditional and so, sort of seminal to that graduating seniors experience is just a thing that's not going to happen this year. Um, same for that big ceremony at Matt Knight Arena, not happening this year. Oregon State hasn't announced anything, and they told me that they're looking into what their their options are. As of Friday morning, Portland State University had still said that their commencement activities are going on as planned. But again, based on what happens uh, going forward, you just never know what's gonna what's gonna go down with those graduation ceremonies. When you think about what we just talked about, and think about your conversations with students, how do you think they're coping with this emotionally because it's I mean it's a huge loss of very important part of anyone's life. Right. Well, I think part of the tricky thing here is that students are coming right up against I mean it is Friday of the first full week of school closures and students are coming right into what they were already expecting to have as a one week break, right? Spring break, um you have the week off school. Obviously, a bunch of activities have kind of ceased, you know? Students were already kind of gearing up for that kind of one-week break. I don't think it's quite set in yet that, you know, this is basically these closures and these mandates from the state and federal government are going to really affect those seminal moments 
after that one week break, right? Um, it's just, yeah, really hard to fathom at this point. Uh, anything else that you're tracking that people should be thinking about? Right. So I am basically poking the State Department of Education and Portland Public Schools and plenty of other districts um, throughout the region daily just to see what's going on. Um, you know, we've kind of, the state's education reporters have kind of banded together uh, and we're all really just sharing information and checking in on each other and checking in on what our individual districts are doing. So that's most of what's kind of keeping me busy right now and how I'm keeping my ear to the ground. Um, yeah, just again, basically doing what I do every day and calling, emailing, checking Facebook. Cause we know how, uh, well, parents happen to be the most, some of the most vocal people that you'll see on, uh, <laughs> on the internet. So that's, that's where I'm getting a lot of my information. Well, thank you for keeping tabs on all this and for taking some time from, uh, from the craziness to talk about it. Appreciate it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, chatting with me. Next, Mike Rogaway talks about the economic landscape in Oregon right now. Mike, uh, it's been an absolute whirlwind of a week here in Oregon. Um, thank you for all your reporting. How are you holding up? Uh, it's it's all right, you know, Andrew. I, the, the health is good. Uh, family's health is good. So fingers crossed. But there's so much news, it's it's just impossible to keep up with. Well, let's try to unpack what we do know at this point. You know, obviously, you've reported on this, uh, that the uh, food and bar workers of our state have essentially shut down all across the state, as far as we can tell. What do we know about the number of layoffs in that industry so far and, and elsewhere? So, you know, the only hard data we have is unemployment claims, they were up 3,200% on Tuesday over a typical day, uh, 18,500 claims that one day. That's more claims in a single day than at any, than any entire week during the Great Recession. So it's a, it's a real catastrophe. Beyond that, it, it vastly understates the situation. There are 155,000 people who are working in, uh, who were working in Oregon's restaurants and taverns and bars mm -hmm. some of them will be continuing to work some are doing takeout and some may be doing administrative tasks but i think a huge number of them probably have lost their jobs the trump administration has ordered local state employment offices who work with the federal government to not give daily unemployment totals anymore so uh, we won't have tallies for this week until next Thursday. And so we won't really know the scope of the situation until then. Do we have a sense of why uh, the administration wants to sit on those numbers? I mean, I guess we could speculate. Maybe they we, don't we want to speculate. terrify people. I, I really don't know. I, I mean, I, I think the idea that it's somehow political, I mean, that's possible, but it's not like it's any secret. <laughs> Everybody knows what's happening. And so I, why they'd want to restrict hard data, it could be as simple as wanting to make sure the data is accurate. Right. And right. so it's possible there's a benign explanation. Uh, and it's, you know, we, we, know, we know what's happening. 
we monitor, you monitor um, large layoffs. Some companies are required to disclose. What other sectors are uh, reporting layoffs so far, if any? Well, we haven't seen it yet. We've only seen it. Companies are required to, with a mass layoff issue, what's called a WARN notice, W-A-R-N, as a worker adjustment retraining notification. Yeah, great acronym. Yeah, isn't it? There have only been four of those in Oregon so far. And most of them have been from companies, Powell's, McMinimins, uh, Elmer's, large chains that we know are going to be laying off large numbers of people. So there haven't been any big surprises in that. so, so we don't really know. Otherwise, we're kind of waiting and, and I, I, seeing I what happens. I think that's right. I think other businesses are trying to hold on a little bit longer. And of course, a lot of restaurants and bars are not large chains like McMinimins. Uh, they're just a handful of people working for an individual restaurant. And so I think we don't really have a clear window into that at this point. So when we've talked previously, Mike, you know, we've been on this huge run of economic growth from, you know, when we dug ourselves or, and the government dug itself out of the Great Recession, the financial crisis. And we've always said that, you know, something is going to happen at some point. It's probably going to be an external cause. And, and I guess, is this pandemic that, <laughs> it's that external it sure is, cause? It sure is, Andrew. Uh you know, I, I think we all felt that there were some vulnerabilities in the market. There was the trade war, there's student loan debt. People were speculating that maybe just stocks were overvalued. Mm-hmm. But all those things pointed, I think economists felt, to a potentially mild recession. And Oregon seemed to be in a decent position to withstand a mild recession. We made a lot of investments in the state rainy day fund which has about $3 billion, about 14% of the general funds total. Uh, there had been you know, new buildings built. There were new projects already on deck. So it felt like a mild recession is something that Oregon would be able to withstand much better than it has the last few. Uh, but nobody had something like this in mind. Nothing like, quite like this has happened before. And it's, it's happened really suddenly. Yeah, I mean, this is a dumb question, but uh, what other other economic signs indicate we're in a recession right now when we don't have, you know, the layoff uh, information trickling in yet? Yeah, well, I think Andrew, you cover transportation. You can look at the, you can look at what's happening. You know, what what's going on in the roads, what's going on in the buses, what's happening in the transportation sector is often a an early indicator of a recession. And you can just look and see that the buses are empty. I know you're trying to get information from TriMet. Now, there's one big exception. People are still buying all they can from grocery stores. So Fred Meyer, Safeway, Costco, you know, they're quite busy. And, you know, Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, they're hiring all the people that they can. Uh, Amazon, too. Their their demand is through the roof. Mm -hmm. And so... That part of the economy is really roaring. Now, that will level out. You know, people can buy all the toilet paper they want, but the coronavirus does not cause you to use more toilet paper. Eventually, you will run out of room in your cupboard for toilet paper. <laughs> and, and then the sales will level off, or maybe worse than level off, they may really fall uh, because people have stockpiled so much. So this is a, this is a bump that's, that's good, but it's, it's really short term. Uh, how many other recessions have you covered, Mike? Uh, well, the dot-com bust, uh, the Great Recession, and now this one. 
and I know we're just living through it um, as it happens, but how does this feel in comparison to those? You know, it, it's funny because both of those felt so sudden and shocking. Uh, you know, we had big stock market drops as the dot-com bubble burst. And uh, during the Great Recession, as, as big banks, it became clear that they were going, some of them were going to be insolvent and others were going to need a, a federal bailout. You know, the markets fell really fast, really suddenly. But this is much, much, much faster than the, even those. It's really, really catastrophic. I, I haven't looked in the past couple of days, but the Oregon index of, of stocks was down 30%, well over 30% this month. I'm sure it's close to 40% now. Uh, well, I shouldn't say this month. I should say in the past month. So it's really been devastating. It's it's going to be hard on 401ks and college savings. And our colleague Ted Sickinger has written about what it did to PERS, Oregon's Public Employment Employee Retirement Fund, uh, which is heavily invested in stocks. And has so, a lot of ongoing liabilities. Yep. Yep. So this is this is going to be a, a, a real catastrophe, uh, much sharper than even those terrible recessions before. So we have a lot of federal discussions ongoing about potential bailouts, both for, you know, everyday Americans as well as corporate, um, you know, corporate bailouts or, you know, I guess loans or low interest loans. Um, but what about at the state level? What can Oregon do and what are businesses asking for at this time in terms of support? Yeah, the businesses want a few things. Uh, chiefly, they want new taxes postponed and exemptions from some existing taxes. They want to postpone the corporate activities tax that took effect January 1st for schools. That's the biggest tax hike in Oregon history. It's a billion dollars. It's still relatively small for most industries, but it's administratively complex. Mm -hmm. uh, they want so some business organizations, not all, want Metro to postpone the um, homeless services bond, $250 million. Was that a bond or just a straight tax? It's a straight tax. It's a straight tax, I believe. Yeah. 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 And you've written about the, the fate of the transportation bond that was tentatively scheduled for this fall. The state, the legislature is meeting again over the next few days. Early indications are that they're not going to postpone the corporate activities tax. That's not on their agenda, but it looks like they're going to do other things the businesses wanted in terms of taking steps to make loans available to make additional regulatory costs either deferred or exempt. Mm -hmm. There are costs associated with laying off employees. You're going to get try and get rid of those. They're talking about diverting the state's uh, corporate tax kicker refund into the state's unemployment insurance fund. It sounds like the legislature is amenable to do that. We have a very well-funded unemployment insurance fund. It's got $5 billion in it. Okay. Uh, and even if we run out during the Great Recession, or Oregon didn't run out, but some states did, and the federal government provided loans to keep those funds afloat during that period. So I don't think we're in danger of running out of money to pay unemployed workers anytime soon, but we may buck up that fund anyway. So the Small Business Administration approved the state's disaster declaration yesterday, uh, yesterday being Thursday. Thursday the yeah. So that will help make some low-interest loans available to businesses. Uh, economists I've talked to say that's that would be low-interest or no-interest loans over a long period of time are what businesses need because sales that aren't happening now, will, may, some of them will never come back. They're not deferred. They're just gone. Somebody didn't go to a restaurant this month, 
and restaurants open up again in, let's say, June or July, that doesn't mean you're going to go twice or three times as much. You're probably going to go the same amount or less as what you've been doing in the past. So right. people might build in these habits of, uh, you know, of yeah. tightening the belts, especially right. uh, as we look at the broader economic uh, landscape and uncertainty. So businesses are never going to make up what they've lost in terms of revenue, or many businesses won't. And sales may be depressed in the future. So that's why they like the idea, why economists like the idea of low or no interest loans over a long period of time. You know, the Great Recession, uh, a lot of us were unemployed. You know, I was speaking personally, I was unemployed for an extended period of time during that crisis. And we hit, what, 12% unemployment? But what are uh, economists projecting we could hit during this uh, coronavirus recession? Well, Sandy McDonough, who's the CEO of the state's largest business association, Oregon Business and Industry, she floated the number of 20% at a legislative hearing this week. For context, Oregon's unemployment rate hit 11.9%. That was its peak in 2009 during the Great Recession. Yeah. So 20% unemployment would be 500,000 Oregonians looking for work. That's yeah. remarkable. It's an order of magnitude you know, above where we've been in the past. Now, let me stop for a moment and just say there's some potential good news or cause for optimism out there. The case for optimism is that I was talking with Josh Lehner at the Oregon Employment Department. He says, if you look at energy consumption and transportation in China, those are things you can get hard data from. You're not subject to the spin of the the Communist Party there. Mm -hmm. You can see that that continued to be consumed even through the worst of the outbreak there. And that there are signs of recovery there in, in terms of health and the economy starting up again. Now, that was two excruciatingly difficult months there. But there was an end to it, and there was economic activity all through it. And so there's some reason to believe that things would continue to rumble along, even in the worst-case scenario. It's also possible that if the virus is genuinely contained, that the snapback could be really fast. It took a long time to get over the Great Recession mm-hmm. uh, and a fairly long time to recover from uh, the dot-com bust. Well, they, economists talk about a V-shaped re- uh, recession, that maybe we'd fall really fast and then bounce back really fast too. And I think that is possible. But ordinarily, we look for economic precedent uh, and to figure out what the path might be there isn't really a precedent for this economically. This is a, a public health crisis. And the economic measures we have and economic tools will only really be useful once the health crisis is contained. And President Trump, I think, has uh, really you know, publicly said, and his advisors as well, that they're hoping that that's the case, that this will be a quick bounce back uh, after you know, this government-ordered shutdown, which is really, like you said, unprecedented? I, I, I think it is possible that could happen, I, but we don't really know. You know, some things could be permanently disrupted by this. Some businesses that, you know, don't have the reserves, small businesses in particular, to, to hold on, whether it's a month, two months, three months, you know, six, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they won't come back. And so it will take time for new businesses to emerge to replace them and and ramp things back up. So there's all kinds of ways that this could play out. Structurally, what does this say about our economy, um, if anything at all? I know we have a lot of small businesses in the metro area and in our food and dining culture, but um, 
you know, do we have any more of that industry or that type of uh, makeup economically than other states? And I guess what other sectors are you, you keeping an eye on? Well, there, there probably there is some evidence that Oregon is has an unusual concentration of small business. Certainly, we have fewer large businesses based here than other states, but we have a lot of large corporate offices, um, satellite offices, and and things like that. So I'm not sure. You know, I, I mentioned Josh Lehner earlier with the uh, State Economist. Mm-hmm. You know, he he said yesterday that in past recessions we have been unusually hit because we have exposure to the industries that were hit in the dot-com era uh, in the great recession manufacturing and the dot-com era was tech. Uh, this time he says, we're, we look about like everyone else. Now, what we haven't had to this point is a slowdown in construction or manufacturing. It doesn't appear that construction projects are stopping. Intel's project, for example, in Hillsborough has continued. That's a multi-billion dollar project. Intel has continued to make its chips there. If workers start becoming infected, if workers start becoming sick, and those things become disrupted. Oregon is unusually dependent on manufacturing. If, if that goes wrong, then, then we could feel some real profound impacts, and major employers here might face some real hardship. Well, that's certainly something to keep an eye on as as this fast-moving story continues. And Mike, thanks for helping make sense of what we know so far. Yes, of course, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Keep coming back to OregonLive.com to read all of our stories on this unfolding public health crisis. Better yet, go to subscribe.oregonlive.com if you value our journalism. We'd appreciate it. If you like this show, consider leaving a rating and review in iTunes. It helps others find the show. And we want to hear from you about how coronavirus is affecting your life. Whether you've lost your job, are still working but scared to go to work, are on quarantine, or are concerned the government or your employer isn't doing enough to protect you or your loved ones, your voices matter. Record a voice memo on your phone and send it to podcasts at oregonian.com. We'd love to hear your stories. Until next time.